Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your brand new source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. Today, we are breaking down the quarterbacks and O-linemen in our series of 2022-2023 positional breakdowns. If you want to hear about any other positions, they are in our last three episodes. Go check those out. You can find those wherever you're listening to this one. My name is Tommy. As always, I'm one of your hosts, joined as always by my dad, my co-host, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Spent a lot of time looking through all the different... uh alignment and uh the, the the qbs and trying to figure out where we are how they're doing what's what we might expect from them in the future and sitting in here while the wind is just howling outside shaking the house wind winds howling outside there rain's pouring down here the weather is hitting the west coast a little bit once again but not really too much for us to complain about all things considered but anyway dad we got a lot of players to talk about. Is there any news or notes you want to touch on before we get to it? So one thing we were thinking is we would be having this after the the our QB1. It's darkness retreat might be over. However, apparently that hasn't started yet. And it keeps getting pushed back as far as we can tell. We thought it was going to be last week between the, um, um, the last week before the Super Bowl. And then there was this talk about it starting today on monday and now there's reports that he's gonna be that roger's gonna be on the mcafee show tomorrow and so it won't be starting maybe until wednesday so he keeps getting pushed I'm, back i don't know what the I'm story seeing is mixed i'm seeing mixed reports though on whether or not it actually happened last week already the only thing i saw that was like tentative was like oh he's on mcafee so it probably didn't happen already but i'm there's a four-day span there where he could have been doing it that we don't know like and, wednesday to right, sunday could have happened in any of those four days and it was kind of Radio silence from Rogers uh, for a few days. So I was thinking, leading up to the Super Bowl, that it had, that it had happened, and then there were these reports coming out that I forget which of the uh, reporters are saying that it hadn't happened. We'll see. Maybe maybe he's gonna maybe he's gonna come out of uh, on McAfee on Tuesday and talk about all the crazy hallucinations he had. Yeah, and the thing, the re- the importance of this darkness retreat really is that he was going to take this darkness retreat to take some time to decide on his future in the NFL and whether or not he wanted to keep playing. And so that's the big reason as Packers fans we have our eyes on is because eventually at some point we will get some clarity on his status with where he has where he is at um, with regards to his like willingness to keep playing football. And from there, the like Packers can then officially start talking about whether or not they want to retain him, whether or not they want to trade him. It's seeming like there are a lot more uh, reports about trade rumors swirling around. And one thing that I saw, it was either today or yesterday, Dad, the first official report I had seen of the Jets essentially officially making inquiries with the Green Bay Packers about trading for Aaron Rodgers. The first official report, I think it was Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, uh, who tweeted that out? I think it was out. Fowler. Maybe it came out. Did that come out on Saturday? It came out. A co- I think that came out a couple days. Where it was an official reach out, so above board contact from team to team, asking about uh, Rogers' availability. And then there was, um, was there something else besides that that came out in the beyond, last couple days? Beyond that, the only other non like kind of mm. the adjacent uh, relevant news is that Derek Carr is not going to take a trade he wants to be bought out of his contract and will then be pursuing free agency so that's something to keep an eye on of a lot of these quarterback needy teams that may be interested in Derek Carr's services are or maybe interested in Aaron Rodgers services also have Carr as an option also have Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. as an option these other quarterbacks are 
kind of other options for them if they decide they don't want to pay up for Aaron Rodgers. But it sounds like the Jets are willing to give up whatever it takes to get him. So it all comes down to whether or not Rodgers wants to play there. Um, but we'll get into a lot of Rodgers talk as we go along. Uh, Dad, let's get into this breakdown because we do have a lot of players to talk about, talking about the offensive line, talking about the quarterbacks. It's going to be a lot to discuss there. Let's start off with the offensive line so we can kind of end with the like the the heavy hitting Aaron Rodgers, some more heavy hitting Aaron Rodgers discussion. Um, overall, Dad, uh, before we get into individual performances, what did you think? Just kind of, I know I'm springing this on you. This isn't in our our usual doc, but what do you think uh, about the O line this year? I had some notes of this in the end of the position, but overall they came together pretty well. In the end, they started off week one terrible, basically. It's like and and, and yes. uh, as I and with very questionable decision making as to who was in the lineup, at least. And I think most people thought so, even going to it, not just with hindsight. It's like, why are you playing these guys? Um, yeah, and we can and talk th- about these that a guys. Later, these guys are these guys, guys are Royce Hansen Newman and, and Jake Newman. Hansen. Yes, and, and, we can and, say and their then, names. Those are the guys that they were playing that they should know they should not have been playing them. And nobody thought that it was like the Packers team was in the one percent of opinions that they should play, play, and everybody else thought they shouldn't. But also, I felt like the general consensus so, that's a common thing the, dad the packers having opinions on who should play that no one agrees with it's a very common occurrence yep but i think the the consensus was the line would take a little time to get together um and, and reach its peak because of bakhtiari and jenkins both coming off major knee injuries and yes. that regardless of when they actually started playing it would take a little while for them to hit their stride and that by the end of the year we expected them to be playing pretty well and that's mostly came to pass, except for the except very last for game the, of the very year. last game when everything yes. fell apart, and it really left. The, so I'll just give my little vamp on it real quick. I, I think that the the coaching decisions. We'll talk about Luke Butkus later. I have a lot of questions for him because it seemed like the O line was a complete tire fire until Stenovich, the offensive coordinator and former O-line coach, went in there and fixed everything. So I'm very very concerned with the work Luke Butkus has done. Um, beyond that, though, it seemed like the early decisions, I know it's a tough situation when you're missing two Pro Bowl level starters, um, but just the decisions to start those guys over a guy like Tom or et cetera, uh, seemed odd to me. And then just like, they played really well. And then they just got bullied by the lions for four straight quarters, just inexplicably by a D line that was not statistically very good last year. And just left a horrible taste in your mouth about the state of this O line going forward. And I just have so many more questions than answers right now for this unit. Uh, it has the makings of possibly a good unit, but when you get manhandled the whole 60 minutes, like in a must-win game to go to the playoffs, there you, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry. It just is what it is. So shall we start? Um, you want yeah, to take, yeah, we lead can... us off with... Uh... Yeah, we can start with going over player by player. So, like we do in a lot of these um, player or positional reviews that we've done, this is the last one of which we'll do, and then we'll get into draft talk and free agency talk. Um, but just kind of to round out the state of the Packers as a as a team, as a fifty three man roster going into next year, we like to go player by player and talk about how they did this year, our thoughts on them, what their status is contract wise going forward, et cetera, et cetera, whether or not. We see them in the same role on the offense or defense next year. 
etc. Uh, but let's start with David Bakhtiari because I think that this is one of the more interesting conversations along the offensive line. Um, and so we'll go about this like we do with all of our positional overviews. Bakhtiari is uh, 31, going to be in his 11th year in the league next year. And this past season, after missing almost all of 2021 uh, with a knee injury, after missing the end of 2020 with a knee injury, he finally got back on the field, Dad. And he played 11 games. Um, he missed two to start the year. He didn't play the second half against the Giants. He missed the Washington game last minute with less than a 24-hour notice. He didn't play half of the Lions game, the first Lions game, and then missed three games for an appendectomy. So a bit of a roller coaster season for Bakhtiari, but I think just the fact that he was able to play football is A+. I think there was a lot of... I think now it's hard, uh, it's hard to remember the state of the discourse at the start of the year, which was, wow, is he ever going to play again? Like, is is Bakhtiari ever going to play football again? I think was a reasonable question to have to start the year when once again, he's on the pup list. Once again, he's not playing <laughs> once again. Like you don't know when you're oh, going to get found out just how many, and we found out just how many surgeries he had. And he, and, he and, was on the pup list how, to start the year, right? No, not to start the year because not. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. Cause you, but he may have been on the pup list to start training camp. Mm. But not the season. Fair, fair. Because okay. he that, missed he missed the he spring activities. Two. Yeah, right. He only missed two games, but he and he missed the spring activities because he had like that one extra, like the third surgery that they threw in there to do one last bit of cleanup. Yes, he came off the pup list on August twenty first, so that would have been right around the end of camp. Um, but. So he only played those 11 games and really only played uh, more than 60% of snaps in eight games. So a little less than half the season that he was playing them. However, when he was playing, he was as elite as ever, especially in pass protection. So just going over some of his statistics for the year, uh, allowed only 10 pressures, no sacks, and no hits in the games he played. He was one of just five tackles to play at least 20% of snaps to allow zero hits. He was second in ESPN's pass block win rate amongst tackles. PFF had him as their sixth best pass grade, uh, sixth highest graded pass blocking tackle, and twelfth highest graded overall tackle. Uh, for run blocking, uh, PFF had him as the thirty third highest graded run blocking tackle. And I found statistically just like interesting in the eight games where Bakhtiari did play more than sixty percent of snaps, the Packers averaged one hundred thirty seven and a half yards per game on four point eight eight yards per carry. Compare that to their season averages of 124 on 4.6. Clearly, better running the football when he was in there as well as a team. Um, so, Dad, I, I would say at least just looking at the stats, looking at the eye test, when he played, he played really well. And the biggest questions are just if he's going to be available. Yeah, though I do feel like as the season went on, they figured out a little bit more how to manage it so that by like the last besides the appendectomy which is unrelated I was going to say kinda, you can't throw anything in you can't make any conclusions from that cuz that's nothing to do with anything else you can say that but it did give him a rest period that probably allowed him we don't know if he could have played all those games in a row cuz i'm going to i'm going to read to you the games he played more than 60% of snaps week 4 week 6 week 8 weeks 10 11 and 12 and then week 17 and 18. So he only played more than 60% of snaps three games in a row at most. 
Yeah, that's interesting. But you do remember when he had to sit out, I think last minute, was it the Washington game? It was the Washington game. Less they than did talk about notice. how they had started him practicing a little bit more. That's true. And right? then they decided, and like, we should not have done then, that. Oh, that was this a was bad stupid. Idea. Yes. And, 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 and so I think they learned a little bit more how to keep him um, available on game day. Maybe, but I, I is, still... So, we don't know if he can play six games in a row. Yes, we don't know if he can play four games in a row. Yes, we did not learn that. We, we don't know if he can play four games in a row, to be honest. Like, and that's the problem. So looking at his contract, he's got two years left on his contract with a cap hit of $28 million in 2023 and $33 million in 2024. If... if if, and I don't think they should do this, I don't know that they will do this, if he was cut post-June 1st, they could save $17 million off the cap, but it would result in $11 million dead money, so not super tenable, like I said. Could save $7.8 million if they restructure. I think that's more the route they're likely to go. And like I said, thoughts on performance? Really good, really solid. One of their best players on the team when he's playing. But the problem is, you're paying a top-of-the-line, top, like, three left tackle in the league market contract for a guy whose availability is super suspect and the nature of his of like nature of his unavailability makes game planning really hard like we said that washington game that's the scariest thing is last second less than 24 hours notice you might need to tell a rookie in zach tom that he's starting to left tackle that day you got Thank goodness you got zach tom was able cha- to uh, adjust on the fly so many times this mm-hmm. season yes shout out to zach tom for being ready but like that's not what you should be paying top three that shouldn't be the second highest played player on your team making that much money for a guy who's going to play less than half the games and could not play a game just the same the morning of. Zach Tom was t- told the media that he was told that morning he was going to play left tackle. And thank goodness he was ready. Shout out to him. But that's not something you should expect from your backup, your backups, that they're just going to be ready to play left tackle at the drop of a hat. Like, that's without any super pra- scary. Any, you know, With no practice. practice reps. Though, and, though, if they manage the practice properly, I think the backup will be getting practice reps um like one day a week but either way this that's something if you're if you have like a regular you're paying him i I hate to bring it down to money because obviously bakchari wants to be out there he wants to be playing but realistically here you're not getting and it's, it's a terrible situation that it's happened this way but the fact that he had to sit and he's not just that but he's also sitting out the second halves of games that his like his knee flares up on him and he can't play the rest of the game, or he can, he comes back in and then leaves again. It's just a really tough situation to plan for, especially when you're using well, this much cap on this player. So you know, I think they'll have a better idea well before the season how much his knee can go in terms of making decisions. I think they have plenty of time to to make this make this decision on Bakhtiari. One thing I should mention to our listeners, like you talked about saving seven point eight million on the cap if they restructure well. What that means is instead of being twenty eight million this year and thirty three next year, it would be, you know, twenty million this year and forty in twenty twenty four. Yeah. But if you're not paying Rogers in twenty twenty four, it doesn't hurt as bad. To this have is that 40 the thing they talk about. If if Rogers is traded they can re- they can you know restructure ten contracts to get and under the cap all this to year and have twenty million to yes. spare and move them all to twenty twenty four and still be under the cap in twenty twenty four. 
Yeah, and, and we, we can talk about the Rodgers contract dance later. We have <laughs> space for that. But for Bakhtiari, I, they need to bring him back, but it's just it's such a hard situation. Like, like he's so good when he plays. I mean, he's he's really, really, really good when he plays. But the problem is he's he's not playing half the snaps. Well, I think we'll have plenty of lead time to figure that out. Um, and I think they have a decent number of players on the roster. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, would anybody be surprised um, if the Packers pick two or three linemen again this draft? Do you think it's a 0% chance they cut Bakhtiari? I don't think it's zero. Do you think it's a 0%? So, And then that probably not a 0% chance that they trade him either. Now that that I wonder, it's like I, is he even? I'd have to see how much how also. much cap. Yeah, I don't. I think it might trading him might be really low because his cap hit. I think even after the trade, I'd have to look at his contract structure. I, how I much also new just money don't he's getting. Think, I don't think you get anything of value for him. I don't think another team. He he's not as valuable to another team as he is to the Packers because you're trading for a 31 year old. Unless he goes with Rodgers. Exactly. Well, even still, but he's you're, you'd be trading for a 31 year old tackle with knee problems who has the highest contract or second or third highest contract in the league. Like, I don't see how you sell that to a owner. Like, I don't I don't know how you can make that make sense. Um, for Bakhtiari though, just to close it up, like I said, great player. I I I want to see him play more than four games in a row. I guess is my big thing. But that we can go on to our next player. We got a lot of players to talk about. You want to take it away with our? We're going to hit the tackles first, and then the guards. You think? Yeah. So we got this uh, sort of our, our players who mostly play tackle. We got some crossover positions here. So uh, loosely yeah, defined got... as tackle for the moment or guard for the moment. Yeah. That's so fair. I, 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 I've jumped to uh, Zach Tom as uh, the next player up on the list. Uh, so rookie last year, he'll be twenty four. Going to his second season in the fall, um, he played. He played in nine games and started five of them. Had two hundred ninety-five snaps at left tackle, ninety-six at left guard, fourteen at right guard, and eighty-four at right tackle. So it was everywhere but center. Which he's also played in college mm-hmm. um, at a at a pretty high level as well. So like he started Jenkins, at center he play in college. All, yeah, right. His first couple of years. He's like um, a mini Jenkins. He's like Jenkins if he's like, Jenkins like, wasn't three hundred pounds. Kind of this... <laughs> You're convinced I, he's, he's less did... than three hundred. He looks he's they... smaller than Mercedes Lewis. I I maintain he's this three hundred five. No, he's, there's um, no way he's three hundred and five pounds. I'm sorry. Everybody says true. he looks like a tight end. Um, he had he had the true. second best pass blocking grade on the on the team behind um, for PFF behind Bakhtiari at seventy eight point one. He was third overall in the O line for PFF grade behind Jenkins and Bakhtiari, so including the run blocking and, and pass blocking. He was much weaker at run blocking, and he was about 40th in the league overall amongst offensive tackles in, in, in the overall grade. He's got a lot he in common the best... there with the rest of the Packers O-line being better You, you notice the theme here about the Packers are much better in pass blocking than run blocking. Their pass bro- This is, I think, the type. This is who they look for in the draft. Agile, not necessarily big road graders, but um, lateral mobility and and, uh, and speed so that they can um, wall off the pass rusher, not get, get beat by speed, and to move to the second level, but not necessarily road graders. Um, he had the best PFF pass blocking grade of all rookie offensive tackles, 
And of all rookie O-linemen who had at least 20 um, pass blocking snaps, like somebody had like seven snaps. So it's such a small sample size that meaningless end up with a slightly higher grade than he did. He only allowed one sack and 12 pressures all season. And his pass block efficiency rating was 97.6 by, by PFF, which um, includes all the different pressures you give up. It gives like more of a penalty for a sack versus um, other, mm-hmm. other types of pressure. His worst game was week one, where he filled in at left guard for Runyon for part of the game. Yeah, Runyon snaps. got hurt in that game for the second half. And, and Runyon played, actually, I think every other snap the rest of the season. But yeah, that was the those were his handful of left guard snaps for the year. Yeah, and he was, and, and that's where he struggled the most. He, he also struggled in week 18, along with the rest of the line, as he came in in the middle of the game for Nyman, who struggled even more. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm not. I we're going to talk about Nyman later. Nyman had a shoulder injury to close the year. I, I really right. Don't so think that's another thing about. Uh, I, I I think if you look at the, the his trends. We could talk about that. It definitely seemed to be affecting his end of the year performance. Yeah. Um, the other thing about he didn't do as well at guard or right tackle as he did at left tackle when he was filling in for Bakhtiari. Mm-hmm. But did those left tackle grades look so good because he was next to Jenkins for all those games? All the games where he was at left tackle from like week seven and on, but not every week, Jenkins was already at back at left guard where he was doing better than a, he did at right tackle. That's a good point. So, so that's uh, you know something to keep in mind um, anyway. But I think his earlier games where you when he had to come yeah. in right tackle and, late for Nyman or at at guard he was didn't do as well. And when I'm just watching it. I think he's a tackle. I don't think he's a guard, and part of, and I think it's mostly the size. Like he can play. I think he can play guard in a pinch, but he's he cannot be three hundred five pounds. I just don't believe it. Like you, <laughs> yeah, you but, I can but, see but, him. My eyes are my eyes are right here. <laughs> I can see him. He's not three hundred pounds, and I don't. I just don't see how he can handle these big three hundred thirty pound D tackles. I think he's way more of a yeah. finesse player, and the fact that he did so well at what looked like a smaller weight is impressive in the NFL. And maybe he puts on a bit more weight in the offseason and he can play a little bit of guard. But if that slows him down, I would almost rather him stay at the weight he's at and just be a tackle full-time. He doesn't He doesn't need to be a, like a, a tackle all the a way. Through. Like he, he, No, I'm saying he doesn't need to play all five positions to be a very useful player for the Packers. Like I would rather yeah. him be a good tackle and a bad guard than like an <laughs> a slightly above average everything, like in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, it's true. You want somebody who excels at whatever you have them. You're better off in, in, in football having somebody who excels at their job. Yeah. Um, whatever that, and then you give them that job. Say, this is your job. You're good at it. This is what we want you to do. And the thing about Tom, being out on an island to tackle actually takes the advantage of his best skills, which are his speed and agility. His RAS is great. Yeah, for and RAS for RAS for people who don't know is your relative athletic score, which takes into account essentially all your testing numbers as well as your size, and so it kind of it, it well your um, position relative and, to everybody's your, your position and your size as well. Um, so if you're bigger and faster, it gives you a higher score because if you're lighter and faster, you're kind of a, you're expected to be faster if you're lighter. Is the other idea? Yep. So to to move on, I would say that our th- my thoughts on his. He's got, well, three years left in his rookie contract, fourth-round yeah. pick. He was a steal in his draft position. And oh, going 100%. in, he seemed like a very Packer-style player. 
um, with excellent speed and agility and also had good game reps in games and at the Senior Bowl. So mm-hmm. I think these are things to look for, like players who test well and have done well in the against whatever competition they've had. Yeah, and um, they don't mind. They don't mind going a little small. If you remember Bakhtiari when he was drafted in the fifth round, his biggest thing was he's small. He was a small tackle coming out of Colorado. Like they, people I was were concerned say, he he was going to be too little for the NFL. They picked him. They let him put on a little bit of weight. It turned out it wasn't really a problem. Yeah, I was going to make the comparison when you talk about you know Tom. Uh, he, he's kind of following. It would be great if we followed the same path as uh, Bakhtiari coming out of college. Yeah, but let's not get ways, too far ahead of ourselves. But in, in many ways, he's got similar strengths and knocks on his game coming out of college. Um, definitely performed better at left tackle than anywhere else on the line. Um, where his mo- where was it? Uh, all of his left tackle games were above average or borderline elite by PFF grade. Yeah. And thoughts going forward, he looks like a definitely looks like a long term piece. Um, but where are his short term and long term positions going to be? You know, to thinking about who else is on the roster with him, kind of influences where you're going to want to play him. And we we have and we haven't seen him at center yet, which he, which he started off in college. And that this is the thing for me is as I think about his long term fit because I agree on the performance. I thought he was really good for a rookie. Uh, especially filling in left tackle. And honestly, I don't care if he was just good because he was next to Jenkins. I've seen players play badly at left tackle next to Jenkins. So <laughs> it is like I've, I've seen it. It's not, you're it's not automatically, you, there is at least a baseline you need to hit to be good at left tackle, even when you're next to a Pro Bowl left guard. Like, I, like, you, you got to at least be doing something right. And, right. Uh, and you, I don't think he had any reps where he's like, pushing somebody and assisting them in getting around his teammate who's blocking or taking his teammate out of the play with his blocking. No, not to name any (laughs) names, but the thing is, the thing with him is I, I do think that there is a bit of a, uh, uh, like a role problem there looking forward because I think Bakhtiari is your left tackle. You're just, you're locked into that pretty much your right tackle. I think is Nyman. I think, I mean, maybe Tom, I think they should give Tom the chance to take that job, but, and maybe move Nyman back to like a swing tackle. It's not the worst thing to have too many tackles, but I, I think there is a bit of a role problem there and we can, we're going to talk about Nyman next. Yeah, we, should, we should probably move on move to Nyman along. now, but, I, yeah. but I, I think there's a bit of a role problem there, but let's talk a little bit about Nyman because we can kind of talk about that role in, con- in conjunction with one another. Nyman is going to be, Yash Nyman that is, is 27 going into his fourth season. This past season, he played in all 17 games, starting in 13 of them. Uh, As a pass blocker, he gave up five sacks and 28 pressures um, uh, with a pass blocking efficiency of 96, uh, over 448 pass blocking snaps. He was fourth on the team in pass blocking grade. Uh, He did finish 54th out of 81 qualifying tackles in PFF grade. Uh, which kind of puts him in middle of the league for second best tackle on a team. Um, 35th amongst tackles in PFF pass blocking grade. Uh, most of his games did grade out as slightly above average. Um, a couple below and a couple really good, but mostly kind of very steady right in the middle. Um, like most Packers, uh, better in pass blocking than run blocking by PFF. However, that's by PFF. By ESPN, they actually had him as the number one tackle in run block win rate. For the season, I don't know if you saw that, Dad. But yeah, I got that. And it's like, it, like 
totally different yes. um, outcomes from the from the two greats. They don't they don't usually disagree this much. This is one of the most egregious examples I've seen, where he's like well down at the bottom of of starting tackles by PFF at number one by ESPN in pat in run blocking. It's like, and that's what just are they looking at here? That's once again just to show that these grades don't mean everything. They're going to disagree with one another. We only include them because it's just something to keep in mind. It's just another point of data, just like pressures allowed is a point of data. All of these pieces of data have context behind them and biases and with the way that they're collected and the what they're intending to capture. But like most Packers, by PFF at least, he's a better pass blocker than run blocker. Like we said, ESPN thought he was a tremendous run blocker this year. Um, for Nyman, I think this is maybe some of my thoughts on him is that this is some of the best developmental work the Packers coaching staff has done in their time. This LaFleur led Packers coaching staff has done in their time with the Green Bay Packers. If you remember, Nyman came in as a undrafted free agent out of Virginia Tech. Big, huge, athletic ball of clay. Not ready to play full-level NFL football yet. They got him. He rode the practice squad, I think, for two years. And then the past two years has come in and played really good at left tackle last year. And then stepped out of his comfort zone to switch over to right tackle this past year. Played very solid at right tackle, I thought, for much of the year. Like we were saying earlier, last two games of the year were a bit of an adventure for him. But he was nursing a pretty substantial shoulder injury and that's why they brought tom in for him i think i think part of it is like hey we're gonna see if you can go we're gonna give you a few series if it's not looking good we're just gonna bring tom in and have him step in a right tackle for you and that's what they did because quite honestly nyman was not very good but i am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there because i've seen him play well at both spots his contract is up after playing as as an exclusive rights for agent last year um they can use a, a tender for him um they first mil- yeah. uh, first round tender for six million dollars, a second round tender for four point three, or write a first refusal for two point six million dollars. Um, that's something that's interesting. Uh, in my opinion, I would probably hit him with a second round tender. I think I would not be surprised if someone matches that offer sheet. Um, just yeah. because I, the, ta- good, competent tackle play is hard to come by. But my opinion on Nyman, just to wrap this up, and then you can give a little spiel about the contract and what you thought about him, is I think he's a very good player. I think he's a very good tackle. And like Brian Gutekind sa- has said uh, many times about Bakhtiari, th- when he was talking about Bakhtiari, and this I'll extend to Nyman, good tackles don't grow on trees. It's okay to have three of them. It's a little tough to find playing time for all of them. But he's a good player, in my opinion. And I think they should do what they can to bring him back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the, their investment has really paid off. Um, yeah, the $6 million first round tender is kind of steep for their cap space. Um, it's possible that the second round tender will not stop somebody from poaching poaching him from the Packers because he's a starting tackle in the league. And yep. if you, you know, so they'll, I think they'll for sure at least put the second round t- tender on because $4 million for a starting tackle or even swing tackle is a pretty good deal. I could come in and start a few games for you per year. Um, and then if somebody poaches them, will I get a second round pick? Anyway, is that going to be good enough? I think the right of first refusal refusal t- um, tag is kind of useless um, in this regard. They end up getting nothing in return if they try to go on the cheap and use that one. 
because then somebody signed with a big contract that they can't match, and then well, they get nothing. Yeah. So, and, and I and think what were your thoughts well? on how he? Yeah, go ahead. Because I think at the end of the year he finished, but if you look at you know his last three games, he only played like eighteen snaps, eight snaps, and then twenty four snaps in the last three games. I don't think you could look at that and think that he's physically was was right at the yeah. end of the year. And uh, I think that you could easily say that's probably the reason for his struggles um, in the Detroit game, where he did struggle a lot with uh, Aiden Hutchinson. On and to be right, fair, on, on the right side. And to be fair, every single person on the line struggled. So at least he has an yeah. excuse, I guess. But yeah, for Yash, I I think they need to bring him back. I mean, he's he's one of the best. Like, you can't spend all this time to develop a player and then just let them leave for nothing. Like. I, that's yeah. that's at least the, the Packers opinion. have this kind of, I think this interesting position where they have, they're like their top five players, three of them, the best position is the same position. Yeah, it's a little awkward. <laughs> so, so it's a, that's 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 a, a little a little a little funky. Yeah, top five offensive linemen, you mean? But anyway, let's move on yes. to our next offensive lineman, our next tackle. That is, um, Rashid Walker. Uh, and so these last few we're going to speed through so we can get through this with a reasonable amount of time. Uh, Rashid Walker it was a rookie this past year, seventh-round pick. He's going to be 23 next year going into his second season. He didn't take any offensive snaps this year. Uh, he's got three more years on his rookie deal. Uh, he was. My thoughts on his performance are he was injured for a lot of preseason, but he did get his chance against the Chiefs in the last preseason game, and he made enough of a statement in that game that they decided to keep him on the 53-man roster despite really only seeing like a few weeks of practice of him and that one game. Uh, Zach Jacobson on Twitter had this stat that in that one preseason game, he played 35 snaps in pass protection without allowing a pressure. I know it's only a preseason game, but he's a rookie seventh round pick. And the fact that he's pretty much able to lock up guys in a preseason game who are fighting really hard for a roster spot is pretty impressive. And the fact that that was his first game action thoughts on going forward. Let's just go real quick on this. I think he could be a very solid depth tackle. I wouldn't be surprised if, um, he's on the roster again next year. Uh, I know he didn't play much at all this year. He was inactive almost every single game. I think he had a few special team snaps. But, yeah, it could be a solid backup tackle, but he's more of a guy to watch developmentally going forward. I know a lot of people were excited about him coming out of college, uh, Penn State, and thought he would go higher than the seventh round, uh, a lot of the draft people on Twitter. So to get him in the seventh round, to see him put some stuff on tape in preseason that looked good, that's kind of all you were asking for out of him. Yeah, he was immediately listed as one of the steals of the draft immediately post post draft, and and I think he did have an injury um, at draft time that I think pushed him down the board a bit, and he has a chance to eventually develop and maybe he can become uh, you know a, a a spot starter level player, um, which I think is if we want to keep ch- and uh, so I think he's going to s- stay around for a couple more years as they uh, see what he develops into. And uh, I yeah. think he's going to kind of a similar story with the next player in our list. Yeah, go uh, take it Caleb away. Caleb Jones, who was uh, um, they, they undrafted free agent, they picked up. He's going to be 24 going to his second season. He also, you know, didn't play, had, had no snaps for the season, but put in a couple good showings in the preseason, I thought, uh, and, and uh, was, was moving people um, in some of those preseason games. He's huge. I think he's the, said the biggest packer ever i think they got six nine three hundred and seventy pounds so he may have dropped some weight um i, I think, think gilbert yeah, brown has uh something to say about that <laughs> well maybe maybe because of well i wonder yeah, who knows what gilbert brown's actual playing weight was 
Um, he's, I think he's actually under contract for this coming year. Um, there's one year left and they, they showed, he showed them enough where they were willing to put him onto the 53 when he was in danger of being picked off the practice squad and they wanted to hold on to him and not risk losing him during the year, even though he was like out for a huge chunk of the year with mono. Um, and I think best case scenario for, for Jones is that he eventually, he follows the diamond path. He, he works his way, keeps developing, and maybe he'll eventually develop into a, uh, you know, maybe a decent swing tackle or, or possible starter. With Agreed. The, he's got some tools. Yeah. And I, then I, I could just quick go through the last couple of players. Do you have, yeah, do you have they got two other, I was going to just say they have two other tackles on their roster that we should at least mention, but I was going to 100% agree with you on Caleb Jones. I think that the Nyman path is perfect for him. With his size, I don't know that he'll ever be a great run blocker, just too big but swing tackle pass blocking specialist is not the worst case scenario for a guy who's an undrafted free agent um the last two tackles on the roster gene delance i think i'm saying that right it's going to be 25 going into his second year he did not play at all this year and then luke tenuta 24 going into his second year only played seven snaps on the year and i think they were all special teams uh but he did grade well um so there were seven snaps on offense oh there were seven okay Never mind. He Take played seven offensive snaps and he graded pretty well. But, okay. you know, it's only seven snaps. so Seven snaps. But anyway, let's go to the guards, Dad. Do you want to take it away with Elton? Oh, sure. So Elton, he's going to be 27 going to his fifth year uh, this fall. He was the, tw- by PFF grade, he was the 12th best among all guards, even though, you know, I think they're, they're bashing together some tackle snaps as well as guard snaps into that because mm-hmm. he played started the year with some tackle. He missed week one and then started the whole rest of the year. Played right tackle from weeks two through six and I would say was mostly subpar except for the Giants game. And then after week six, he switched to left guard for the rest of the year. And he really started to play well later in the year, giving up. And he only gave up one pressure um, from week 11 on. So mm-hmm. like the last seven games of the year where he had one pressure in week 18 against Detroit. So it, it, maybe the struggles, so people are saying, well, maybe he can't play right tackle, or maybe the struggles at right tackle were more about him not being physically ready yet. Yeah, let's not um, forget, he came back in nine months from a torn ACL, essentially, yeah, which is pretty so, insane. Right. So maybe, well, we'll see. I, I would say that because of that, the jury is sort of still out on whether he could play tackle. I think it's very easy to explain his struggles by just not being physically ready yet after his surgery. He is signed. So they, they extended him this during the year. Um, now he's signed through 2026 as like the second highest paid left guard by yearly average. And he also has these other incentives to get paid more depending on like how many tackle snaps he had because they were trying to give him incentives well well if i'm going to play tackle then i should get played as a tackle um so they i think they built in some incentives so that if that's the case then he gets paid more like a tackle um you know and thoughts going forward i think that's sort of the i should also say that he was one of their i'm trying to remember did he do well as a as a run blocker compared to some of the other and the answer is yes he was their best run-blocking O-line by PFF grade on the season. So he was not their typical really, really good against the for um, pass rush and much worse graded by PFF um, in, in run-blocking grade. But he was actually kind of equally 
um, rated in both um, the pass blocking and the run blocking by PFF grade. Yeah, and just to my personal thoughts on how he played this year, the right tackle stuff, I'm not willing to give up on him at right tackle. I th- I'm willing to attribute some of that to coming back from injury so quickly and also essentially coming back from injury and then also going straight to a position you hadn't played in a little while is very tough the thing is we've seen him play right tackle when healthy and we've seen him play it well and the fact that he didn't play it well coming right off of torn acl like nine months after that that's that sample size is not as important to me as the sample size of when he was fully healthy seeing him play right tackle well i don't know why People just delete those snaps from their brain of like seeing him play tackle at a high level. And they're like, oh, I guess he's not a tackle. Like, that's fine. It's like he's coming off a torn ACL. Like he hasn't played football in nine months. He's barely done any like on field work in nine months. And after two bad games at tackle, we're going to say, oh, he can't play tackle. When we've seen him play tackle in the past, that was ridiculous. We've seen him play very well at at left tackle anyway. He played very well. And we've seen him play pretty well at right tackle. He only played played a handful of snaps at right tackle the previous year, but they were all good snaps. And we've seen him play well at left tackle. And I don't know. That narrative was always very illogical to me. Like, we've seen him play tackle well in the past when healthy. And now that he's not healthy and not playing tackle well, everyone's like, oh, he can't play tackle. Like, let's just look at the previous data set we have where he clearly did. I don't know. Um, the thing is though, I don't think he's going to be playing tackle because they have three tackles. So it doesn't really matter. The top four players are best at tackle. Exactly. One thing I mentioned, he was the only other player besides Nyman who graded in the top 10 at the position by ESPN's run block win rate. Yeah. So he, he, he graded, um, as a, as a good run blocker in two different, um, systems yeah and the thing with him is it's nice i'm i'm happy they locked him up because there was a lot of talk in season about like oh you're gonna let probably let elton walk like i don't know how you pay him and they found a way because the nfl cap is fake um beyond that though i don't have a lot of thought on his performance going forward i think he's probably one of the better left guards in the league the fact that he can slot in at all these other spots in a pinch is just added bonus i'm i'm happy with elton going forward at He's fun. I, I enjoy watching him play football. He's really, really yeah. good at what he does. He is when when he's playing well, he is just so good. And I think I think we've found out that he's gonna be back to, he's back at that level. Yes. Um, that and, was there was some so, concern there. And th- that now we've got him locked up as a elite um guard, guard. at the very least. Yeah. For the season. I I don't really for, have for, much for more to seasons. Say. I don't really have much more to say for him. He's a great guard. He was a pro bowler this last year. So and that's coming off of a horrific knee injury. A year removed from that, even further, is only going to do more for his level of play. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table next year. I think we can move on to the next guard on our list if you're ready to, unless you want have anything else yeah, you want to add we can on. Move on. I, I just say that um, as these as ACL reconstructions go, I think you usually see an uh, an improvement in the second year back from the surgery over the first. Yeah. The so other I think we guard... can be confident in him. Yeah, the other starting guard spot is, I think, a bit more of up for grabs, we'll say. So John Runyon will be 26 going into his fourth year next year. He played in every game this year, uh, except for the second half of the Vikings game in week one. He played almost exclusively at left guard weeks one to six, and then played right guard for the rest of the season from week seven to 18. In pass blocking, he is very good. 
at least better at pass blocking than run blocking. We'll say we'll say good. We won't say very good. We'll say good. And this makes some sense given the fact that he was a left tackle in college. So keep that in your mind. Over the course of the year, he allowed 17 pressures, three sacks, and three hits. Those 17 pressures would be 12th best amongst guards playing 50% of snaps. So very solid there. Four, so at yeah, left guard, and he played almost and he played almost all the snaps too. He's over a thousand snaps. Exactly. So that's a that's a really important note. He he pretty much I think not this year, but previous year I think had the most snaps in the league at guard. This year though, so l- splitting those amongst left guard and right guard, at left guard, he allowed four pressures and one sack, but all four pre- of those pressures were in one game against the Jets, which was the game that he was getting mossed on by Quinton Williams for the whole game. 13 of those pressures and two of those sacks were allowed at right guard. So I think we can clearly see he's a better left guard than he is a right guard. So again, we have a bit of an issue where we have an overlap in positional, like where people are, like what position people are good at. And so that's something to keep in mind is, yes, he got destroyed by Quinton Williams in that Jets game at guard, at left guard. Besides that, he did not allow a pressure at left guard for the whole season, whereas he allowed 13 at right guard. Overall, had the 12th best pass blocking grade per PFF amongst guards playing 50% of snaps. But then we get to the run blocking. His run blocking grade per PFF would have made him the 39th best guard, which is pretty poor. And you could argue, hey, he's got a lot of moving pieces around him. He's changing positions. When he was playing at left guard, he didn't have the... Like benefit of having Bakhtiari next to him much, really. When he was playing right guard, the right tackle was in flux a little bit. Next year, he's going to be on the last year of his rookie deal, counting $2.8 million against the cap. And my thoughts on his performance is, I had always thought that Runyon was a really locked-in piece of the offensive line rotation. But then when you look at this past year, mostly really solid, and then he'll just have a game where it all falls apart. And those games this year were the Jets, the Titans, and the last Lions game. And those games were so bad that I think there has to be at least some discussion about who's playing that spot next year. I don't know how you feel about it, though. Yeah, there's definitely a kind of a downward trend in his game after switching to the the right side. Um, He stopped having those elite games. Really, he had like four of his first five games were elite um, except for the Tampa game wasn't so good, um, at least in pass blocking. And then he didn't have any games in the after moving to the right guard that were as good as even his you know fourth best game at at uh, at left tackle. I mean, at left guard. So it, it it's a little hard to say. I was I was trying to check about that Jets game and see was that when he first moved to to right guards? Like no, that was when he was still at left guard. I think that was the one. Yeah, where he just like. Is that the one where he had like airballed on a block? He just whiffed completely as uh, Williams blew by him. Yeah, yeah. I th- remember that. You're gonna have that, to be more that, specific, that cli- Dad. <laughs> that that there's one clip that that uh, sticks in my mind. Um, yeah, it's just he has these games where the lows are so catastrophically low, where he's getting the crap kicked out of him. Oh, and the other inter- interesting stat for John Running that is a positive. He had his first accepted penalty of his career this year. He had never had an accepted penalty in his whole career until this year. Which is kind of amazing when you see like how 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 much like one holding penalty can just 
just torpedo yeah. a, a, an entire offensive possession. And the thing is, like, he's not a bad player. It's just, like, s- sometimes he just gets manhandled by these, like, really good players. And I guess you could argue, hey, if your worst player on your offensive line is getting manhandled by Quinn and Williams, you should expect that. Like, you should expect the yeah. worst player on your offensive line to get manhandled like that. But it's it's to but, say but that also, there is some room for there's some room for improvement there. I mean, you're always looking at the the worst the, you know, the worst starter in a group is the easiest place to upgrade. Yeah, that's true. If you're going to add somebody, yeah, and and I think if we had the roster how it is today, he should clearly still start, and he should still get the opportunity to win that spot. But I just think it is interesting that he didn't play great at right guard. He played okay. He's clearly better at left guard, but I think that spot is Elton's. And so what do you do going forward? I'm not entirely sure. Do you want to move on to Newman, or do you have anything more you want to talk about with Runyon? I guess that's kind of it um, for for Runyon. I don't have too much more to say. Is he, is he, is he the worst of our five starters? I think it's starting a right I tackle think... and how they're playing. Actually, no, he's not. It's he's not. Uh, he's not. Myers is worse. We're gonna we're gonna get to Myers. I think Myers is worse than exactly. Ryan. That's yeah. that's my point. I think that Myers may is is actually um you know a, a, a we'll we'll a get to below. it. Take us take us away on. But let's go to Newman. Speaking of players who are a step below uh, Runyon, so he's going to be going. Um, it's going to be twenty six going into his third year. He played um four hundred. He played some right guard. Um, except for week one where he played right tackle and week 16 where he played left tackle. So he played 451 snaps at right guard. And then week one was the Runyon-Hanson experiment. Um, and week 16 where Bakhtiari and Nyman were both out. And so you, I think we had Newman and Tom as our starting tackles. Or, or at least I, part, I remember part him game. not being as bad as I thought he was going to be. No, he actually graded. He was okay well in that game. Um, for for that game, he, he and he did. You know, he did better at makes, the end of the year. It kind of makes sense that he might be a better tackle than a guard because his main thing is quickness off the snap, and that he can't handle a stunt. And he's doesn't. <laughs> he's not very oh, the, heavy. The stunts. Like those are the, those are the main um, things for him. He can't handle a stunt on the inside. He's not very heavy, so he gets blown back like in power, and he's quick off the snap, which is positive. And so all out of that transcends, like translates to playing tackle better than you would play guard. So in some ways, it makes some sense. Yeah, did you talk about he was trying to add? He came in adding added weight. Um, yes, I remember Rogers said that. Yeah, he said he had a belly. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he had the lowest PFF grade of all of the linemen on the team, except for Hanson. So he and and he graded better at. Run blocking than pass blocking overall, which is kind of unusual for the team. And he essentially lost his job when um, to Tom and, and Nyman once Bakhtiari and Jenkins were were healthy, and then was essentially back up. He's got his contract; he's got two years left on his rookie deal. And um, as a, I think it was a what, fifth round pick. Yep. So he actually, I'd say, regressed slightly this year compared to his rookie year. Um. So I, I think he was more sort of an adequate fill-in and and less of a, at least maybe I'm just thinking week, week one, I can't get out of my head um, and how bad here's that the, was. So I guess he did better here's later. Here's the thing, the though. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for Royce Newman. Royce Newman is often a punching bag of the Green Bay Packers fandom. He's like their seventh or eighth O lineman. How good do you think most teams seventh or eighth O linemen are? Not as good as Royce Newman is what I'm gonna tell you. Yeah. Most teams well, so most teams seventh or eighth linemen cannot play guard or tackle at like an average level. <laughs> That's kind of what Newman does. That he plays guard yeah. at an average level. He plays tackle at an average level. Most teams do not have that luxury. Yeah, and, and so what I say about Royce Newman is he's looking more like a career depth piece and, and rather than a, a future starter. And Which makes for a good great enough to keep on a team. Pick. That's a great and fifth I think, round pick if you get a career depth piece uh, offensive lineman who can play multiple positions. That's a great yeah. pick. And, and where I would put his trajectory is that he'd have a Lucas Patrick type career. Yeah, which would I think be is, awesome. is, That's is, an awesome uh, fifth round pick. Would be right, which would be which yeah. would be uh, a great outcome for a fifth round pick. I, I think that's still in the realm of possibility. Yeah, and that I would be totally fine with. And that's my thing with Newman is he got put into a position that he they expected him to start at right guard. I think that's just being a little too optimistic about what he is. Like, yes, he can't really pick up a stunt. Is that great? No. He can block his man, and he can play multiple positions, and he can run the scheme fine, and he's got good athleticism. Like, I don't know I think he's right. what exactly decent. people are expecting out of the eighth guy. I don't know. Yeah, and he's know. decent at, like, getting downfield to the second level and, and making blocks down there. Yeah, and going forward, I think, just keep him around as a depth piece. Like, he's a fine yep. eighth lineman. And let's move on to the next guy who is not a fine eighth lineman, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, we don't know guy, if he's, what kind of lineman he is. Yeah, so Jake Hansen will be 26 going oh, into oh, his third year. You you skipped one of our other guys we don't even uh, oh, know what he is I, yet. I, we don't need to talk about him before we talk about Hansen. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Hansen You're, you're true. No Hansen, should be, Hansen should be you're, way you're, before You're right. Guy. Hansen should be before. Your, Hansen yes. should be first. Jake Hansen is going to be 26 going into his third year. Started and played all of week one at right guard. Really struggled. Really, really struggled. Uh, one of the lowest PFF pass blocking grades of the season at 14. For reference, bad is like in the 50s. So 14 is, you can imagine what 14 is. He played a few like, spot snaps in weeks three and six, and he was better in those spot snaps. And then he was placed in IR with a biceps injury after week six. Um, this was around the time that they were benching Royce Newman, and they were just trying to find anything they could do at that guard spot. Uh, he's got one year left on his contract for over the cap. Thoughts on his performance? I think he's one of their worst O-linemen, and I would be surprised if he's on the team next year. No offense, but I've been surprised the past two years when he's been on the team. So I think we all know my feelings on Jake Hansen. I think we all know your feelings on Jake Hansen. I don't think he's particularly good. I don't know why they decided that he was their best option as a starter the first week. That's the biggest indictment for Luke Buckus in the world, in my opinion. We can talk about that in a little bit. And, but and I just he I don't see it. just smoked over, over again. Yes. Yes, it was awful. I don't I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Like, whatever. It doesn't matter. They should have played Tom. They should have played anyone else. But the thing with him is, I mean, he's the ninth, tenth guy. He's going to get, like, those players get kind of rotated through. And he was better in that week six game uh, than he was to start the year. So that is something. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I, I don't have anything else to say. 
I'd be a little surprised if he's on the team next year. I've said that every single year. So he's going to welcome back to 2023 Packers, Jake Hansen. You, you have made a spot on the roster by me picking you to not make it again. Um, I don't think we need to say much here. Do you have anything you want to add on him before we go to the other guy we don't have much no. to say for? I would say mostly he's like kind of really sort of the emergency center. Um, and you have better options? Yes, If you exactly. really have to go that way? Emergency center should be number one Elton, number two um, Zach Tom, number three Jake Zach Tom at this point. Yeah. Like that that should be the order of replacements. And then the last one on the guards, dad, take it away. Sean Ryan, the man about which we know almost nothing in terms of, except that he can't beat anybody out for a spot of the field. He was their third round pick, of course. You know, he's going to be 24 going into his second year. He's only played one special team snap in his rookie season. He was season. the only was third mostly- rounder. Dad, he was the only third rounder to play less than four games. <laughs> and he played one special team snap. And, and was inactive forget, for most games. And was inactive for most games. And then got suspended for performance enhancing drugs. So if you make one special and, and team they- snap... While on PEDs, I can't imagine you making he, any yeah. snaps without them. He should demand a refund. It's like, I, I do not feel enhanced. I mean, if that's the... I just don't... I don't see... I don't see how... I just don't... I, I have nothing to say for him. Maybe we'll see he something just, next year, but I just don't imagine how he could be better next year. I don't, I don't see it. Well, he's going to have to really turn it around dramatically next year compared to this year because yes. um, it's be hard to be worse. more to say it would it would yeah. be hard to be worse there's nothing more to say let's move on to our last position group along the offensive line and that's one player josh myers at center it's going to be 25 going into his third year for his stats this is another scenario where the pass blocking was a lot better than the run blocking for him pass blocking wise he allowed three sacks two hits and 13 pressures over the course of the season 13 pressures would be tied for eighth best in the league amongst centers hitting a certain number of snaps PFF had them as had him with the fifth best pass blocking grade in the le- in the league among centers, but once again, run blocking very poor this year. PFF had them as their tw- at him as their twenty eighth graded center for run blocking. I just don't think it's going to cut it. I mean, when you drafted a guy in the second round with like a sixtieth, I think overall pick, the pick right before Creed Humphrey, who is an All Pro center, by the way, <sighs> fun fact. Another scenario with that. This hurts even more because it's the same position and everyone knew Creed was the best center in the draft and we picked Myers because he's big. That was why we... Big and not lefty. Those are the two reasons. Um, and, and still on his rookie and contract... And Humphrey for- fits so many of their normal profiles for athleticism that they usually go by. Well, the thing that Gudikin said is they wanted to get bigger on the O-line and that uh, they thought that Corey... I think I think the, what they thought was, was like, hey, Corey Lindsay was a little small... He got bullied a bit in pass protection at times by some of these bigger D-linemen. We got to get size along the interior. And so they went with Myers because he's 6'5", he's 320 pounds, and Creed is like 6'1", much smaller. But, yeah, it wasn't the right choice. Um, I don't know what else to say. Myers still on his rookie contract next two years. Um, my thoughts on his performance, he's just really inconsistent. He'll have – he's probably the probably was last year the worst member of the Packers' like regular O-line um, of those top five based on eye test. Um, the thoughts, thoughts on going forward. I'm not saying I'm willing to give up on Josh Myers. I want to reiterate. He's only played a season and a half of NFL football at center, which is one of the hardest positions to pick up in football and at the professional level, the flashes are really good. 
also like there are times where he's really doing the right thing or he gets out in space and he's just mauling guys on the run. Those are great. But just that there's a lot of ones where he misses the reach block and the guy just blows up field on him and he doesn't touch him. Um, stuff like that. Uh, the, usually the protections are set pretty well, I think. And so I don't know. You don't know how much of that is Rogers, how much of that is Myers, but it's at least somewhat him. So that's something um, I want to see him start for one more year to see if he can put it together. It's really be only as like, he hasn't even played a full two seasons of games yet. So I think he has earned another year, but if he doesn't after that, if he doesn't put it together next year, I think they need to move on and try and have more competition at that center spot. Dad, what are your, what are your thoughts? So I guess the one thing I would say is based on how often the Packers pick linemen every draft, would you surprise, would you be surprised if they draft another center this year? I'd be surprised if they draft another center with an intent to start him. Yes. They need a ba- they they kind of need a backup interior another backup interior guy anyways, so I wouldn't be surprised if they take one. But I'd be surprised if they took one with the like the thought like hey, this guy's going to replace one that, Myers. If you took them if they took one in the first say 2 days, that would surprise you. I would that would surprise me, yes. Yeah, that would surprise me. Because I think that Myers I I I think they were really high on him in that draft. And I don't think they would give up on him that quickly when he's at least shown flashes of being good. It's just really inconsistent is the problem. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I would I mean, be surprised. He, he, he's currently grading as like the sixth best um, lineman Packer on the, offensive lineman. On the, on the, pack, on the Packers but, offensive lineman. But like I said, fifth best pass blocking center in the league mm-hmm. also. So like there are positives for him. It's just he needs to like figure it out a little bit. The run blocking being so lo- so bad is not acceptable. That that can't happen if you want to have a competent like full like West Coast offense where you need to run the ball, uh, or like a Shanahan like zone offense where you need to be able to run the ball. That can't happen. But I I think the fact that he hasn't even played two seasons worth of games, I want to at least give him another year when they were so high on him, when he's had good flashes, when he's already kind of pretty good at pass blocking, stuff like that. Um. But that that kind of wraps up the offensive lineman here. Is there anything you want to talk about as the O-line group as a whole before we move on to quarterbacks? We're going to have a pretty long episode. We kind of knew that going in. Um, but anything on the offensive line you want to touch on? So I would just like to say about the, the unit as a whole in terms of how they graded out. You know, So for pass blocking, they graded out really well by basically all metrics. So they were... Um, by ESPN's pass block win rate, they were fifth. By PFF grade, um, their pass blocking was um, third. And by Football Outsiders DVOA, their like uh, um, adjusted sack rate was sixth in the league. So graded really well by by all three three different metrics for measuring the effectiveness of the unit. Now that's a little different for the the run blocking where by PFF grade, they're only 23rd. Um, But by football outsiders, DVOA, they were um, did pretty well in most running um, blocking grades, except for power success, which is basically short yarded situation, third and one, fourth and one where they were 18th in the league. 
Um, but overall, they were second in the league in adjusted line yards, which is how many um, run, rushing yards the offensive line is providing. And that's more in line with ESPN's run block win rate, which was eighth in the league than PFF's 23rd. So they're mostly graded out well, I think, if you try to look at different 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 metrics and um, pass blocking and run blocking, with the pass blocking um, being better. And we talked a little bit already about sort of the what we thought of the coaching. Yeah, um, I have quite. I have a lot group. of question marks about the coaching. I I think Butkus, because like we said, Butkus first year as an offensive line coach in the NFL. I he so he came, he started the year. It was his call essentially to start Hanson and Newman over Tom, which was the bad a bad decision. The offensive line was a mess through the Giants game essentially and then Lafleur had to have Stenovich essentially go into the offensive line room and essentially fix it and Stenovich shuffled who was starting where and then the offensive line was suddenly better and so it's like hey Luke Butkus um what is it exactly that you do here because if the offensive coordinator has to come in and do your job for you I'm not really sure what you're bringing to the table because, like, what happens when Stenovich, like, let's say the Packers' offense improves the next few years, it's good, and Stenovich gets hired away to be offense, to be a head coach or a play-calling offensive coordinator somewhere, which I'm sure he'd like to be. Are we just screwed? Like, does the, is the offensive right. line... Would the offensive line have ever gotten better if Stenovich didn't go into the room? I'm not sure it would have. So that's that's really concerning to me. Because I don't really see what Luke Butkus did... For the offensive line, like, okay, we'll say, if you want to give him credit, you could say, hey, Zach Tom developed pretty well as a rookie. That's pretty good. So there's something there. Um, but beyond that, anything? I, I don't know. I don't know if he's done anything. Hard to say. It's hard to say. Yeah. And so that's just kind of my thoughts on Buckkiss. I am not convinced. We're going to see next year. We're going to see if Stenovich needs to fix anything again next year. Uh, but yeah, those are kind of my thoughts. Um, Dad, should we get on to quarterbacks? Because this is going to be a long episode, but we we did say we were going to hit quarterbacks today. Yep, we can go ahead and uh, do our quarterback segment. Yeah, this um, is gonna. You this wanna... is probably going to push an hour and a half, but we can we can we'll power through this because we this is how much we care about our dear listeners. So we're going to hit you with our quarterback thoughts, and we're going to get to the draft because that's what we're really most excited about. But in order to get to the draft, we need to know where the Packers stand. And one of the biggest dominoes yet to fall for where the Packers stand is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is 39 going into his 19th year in the league. He's now played the uh, after this past year, he has played the most seasons as a quarterback in Packers history. Nothing to sneeze at. However, I will say, this past year left a lot to be desired, I think, from most of us. <laughs> Some stats. This past year, he threw for 3,695 yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 picks, 64.6 completion percentage. This is the fewest yards he's ever thrown for in a full season's worth of games, and that's ignoring the fact that they now have an extra game that they didn't used to have. It is the most interceptions he's ever thrown since his first year as a starter, and it's only one fewer than then. It's 12 compared to 13. 
His yards per attempt is the lowest it's been since 2015 in eight years. And he has the lowest passer rating and QBR of his career as a starter this past year. And while his average depth of target was higher than the previous two seasons under LaFleur, he was worse throwing to almost every depth of the field than he was in 2021 when he won the MVP. I know it's a big shock, but let's read him out. On throws by distance, throws greater than 20 yards downfield. In 2021, he was 27 of 69, a 39.1% completion percentage, for 971 yards, 7 touchdowns, and 3 picks. This past year, that completion percentage dropped down to 34.5% for just 850 yards, 12 touchdowns, and 6 picks in 15 more attempts. So he threw it 84 yards, 84 times, 20 plus yards downfield, 29 of 84 for 120 less yards, 5 more touchdowns, but 3 more picks. On throws 10 to 19 yards downfield, this one was a bit more steady. 2021, 55 of 93, 59.1% completion percentage, 975 yards. The issue here is in 2021, through 10 touchdowns, no picks. In 2022, a better completion percentage, 62.8%, about the same number of yards, 933 yards, but five touchdowns and three picks. So half as many touchdowns and three more picks, as opposed to no picks on 10 to, throws 10 to 19 yards last last year. And then short yardage, 0 to 9 yards downfield. 2021, 201 of 242, 83.1% completion percentage for 1,714 yards, 17 touchdowns, one pick. 2022, 168 over 219 attempts, 76.7% completion percentage, 1,391 yards, six touchdowns, three picks. So you're seeing a pattern. Every single depth of the field, he's throwing more picks. It's not just that he's bombing it away and throwing more deep picks than ever. It's not just that guys aren't where they're expected to be in the short yardage. Every level of the field, like deep, intermediate, short, he's throwing more picks. It's generally less accurate or less less complete less completions and generally less yards. Beyond that is where he, the fact that he really fell off in specific levels of the specific areas of the field from last year to this year. And those were short to intermediate distances in the middle of the field. And I think we could see that as we watched the games. But specifically statistics wise, these are all all these stats are fine on PFF. In the middle of the field, from 10 to 20 yards, his passer rating went from 148.7 in 2021, which is insane. This is, these are the reasons he was an MVP. 148.7 down to 91.6. In the middle of the field, from 0 to 10 yards, went from 131.6 passer rating to 92.2. Interestingly, actually, though, middle of the field, 20 plus yards downfield was actually better this year than last year. And I think a lot of that had to do with the speed that Christian Watson had and his plays down the middle of the field there. So that's at least something he did improve there. And deep left was also much worse this year. 140 passer rating all the way down to a 49 passer rating. Huge drop off going deep left. And then intermediate right actually was substantially improved. 70.8 up to 127.5. So deep middle and intermediate right he improved. Pretty much every other zone, especially middle intermediate and middle short, were way worse. Deep left was way worse. Uh, deep right was slightly worse, I believe. Um, but pretty much just that it wasn't just one thing. The, when I include all of these statistics, I know it's kind of a big bomb of numbers. The main overarching idea is it wasn't just one thing that wasn't working. 
almost every level of the field was worse. Almost every kind of throw was worse. The level of the number of interceptions he throws through when compared to like his usual standard for that was way higher. And dad, I think that this is something where a lot of people would point to drops. They actually had the exact same number of drops in 2022 that they had in 2020. So it's not just drops. I think the big question is, dad, is it the thumb? Is it as simple as it's the thumb? Or, and and uh, I think that's for like a possibly a good chunk of the year, though. And then there was the the kind of the mess of the offensive line in the first like four or five weeks of the year was also having some effects. One thing I was thinking as he we went through these numbers where he was like really really worse, I'd have to think about where was Devonte getting most of his targets, and I think like those touchdowns, like the the uh, was it the ten to nineteen yards downfield. 10 touchdowns and zero picks. How many of those were to Devontae? Were to I think that's that, kind this of is the other sweet, question. That, that's, the, that's the sweet spot right there. There's the thumb and I there's no Devontae. Are the two, the two questions. But the thing is, we've seen the passing offense work in individual games, and that's fair. It's only individual games without Devontae. Far more than it worked this past year is my counter-argument to that. And I think that's what they were counting on. Um, yes. Those whatever seven games where they had done so well when Devontae had to miss games, and I think that I think the thumb had a, a a big impact on how well he played. What I don't know, and what's impossible to know, is was the thumb everything? You can't disentangle it. It's true, um, and, and that's what get, makes this discussion and, so difficult. Because I think anyone can see he was way he was he was not only worse. He was way worse this year than the past two years. I mean, missing throws, not and not just missing throws, not seeing defenders, not seeing where the open man was, like not like just oh, making it, uh... poor decisions with the football, just throwing the ball. Like we said, like I said, he had a higher average depth of target this year. I guarantee that that is only because four times a game he would just throw a shot down the sideline to no one. You, I mean, you know, you know which or, or, like, or, or just, uh, Kirby, Kirby Joseph. He would just throw the ball up, just yeah. straight up in, just down the sideline on second and ten, just throw it up and just hope that someone made a contested catch. That's those are the things more than anything that concern me. the The fall off in accuracy, the fall off in trust in the system, in trusting in the offense. Well, I think the the lack of trust in the offense is the biggest concern for me and we'll get to this in how we feel about that what they should do with him moving forward that's that's my biggest thought on why i th- i'm in per- personally in favor of trading him is is well we'll talk about it but the lack of but you could like, also willingness to run the system you could wrap some of that in receivers turning the wrong direction even the vets <laughs> Yes, but that doesn't mean I'm just not chuck it down the sideline. No, no, I, I'm not saying he made the right choices when that was a problem, but that was also clearly a problem. But that does not um, explain all of the issues that he had this year. So yeah, yeah. I mean, what did, what did you think? Because for for me, it's it's the it's the decision making, it's the lack of accuracy, and. And we can talk about th- my thoughts on his performance where he was very bad this year. I actually, I do think he's going to have a bounce back year next year. 
I think that so okay, I'm gonna we're gonna transition to this to a bit of Rogers trade talk. Uh the Jets are interested. I know a lot of Packers fans that I've talked to are like, don't tell them that like Rogers had a like like tell them it's a great idea. Tell them like they should hundred percent trade for him. I think the Jets would should trade for him. I think it's good for the Jets. I I think here are my thoughts. If you bring Rodgers back to this team next year, the goal is to win a Super Bowl. Rodgers on this team next year, it's not as good as the team last year. It's not as good as the team two years ago. And it's not as good as the team three years ago. You had your chance. You had your chances. You didn't close. There's no reason to think that a team next year, this roster with Rodgers on it, would be better than any of those teams. And none of those teams won the Super Bowl. So why should we think that the next year's team should win it, would win a Super Bowl when it's substantially less talented? On the other side, the Jets have a really nice roster right now. They're only missing a quarterback. I think Rodgers is going to have a pretty good year next year. I think if they took two first-rounders, two, two first-rounders and a couple other picks and maybe a player, sent them over to the Packers, got Rodgers, they're a playoff team for sure, instantaneously instantaneously he's the best quarterback that's played for them in 20 years the the second he steps in the door and i think he's gonna have a really good year next year and a lot of people will be like wow why did the packers trade him because they weren't going to win the super bowl with him next year they're not going to they are not a good enough roster to it's as simple as that jordan love will probably not have as good of a year next year as aaron Rodgers. will the packers offense run better maybe because Rodgers wasn't essentially running the Matt LaFleur offense is, I think, a big problem that the Packers have had this past year. But I still think it's a good trade for the Jets. I think it benefits both parties immensely. And that's just my thought. That's my little monologue, is I think a trade would be beneficial to all parties involved. I think it'd be good for Rodgers. I think it'd be good for the Jets, and I think it'd be good for the Packers. A lot of people are treating this like the Packers are swindling. Packers fans, I know, are treating this as like, oh, the Packers are going to trick the Jets into trading for Rodgers and taking that contract. I think it's good for the Jets. I think they'd be good with Rodgers. They'd be That's so Rodgers. Even even this most recent year's Rodgers is better than what the Jets have had in a long time. Yes, and it's already a big yes. improvement over what else they could get. Now, do I think Rodgers will be as bad this coming year as he was last year? No, I think he'll be no. a little better. Do I think he's going to be like 2020 or 2021? No, that's unlikely. Yeah. I think it's, it's unlikely he'll be good. But he's, but I think he'll probably have a better year next year than he did this yes. year with the the thumb injury and um, kind of getting reoriented to the uh, the offensive line and the conditions around him. I think the Jets are set up with a great defense and good weapons um, around them, I think they're in in position to 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 make some noise, and I think adding Rodgers to what they already have, so they just you know mostly give up draft capital, will make them a much better make the Jets a much better team than they were this year. But I also think that with what the Packers could get in return, moving from Rodgers to Love, even if it's a downgrade, the Packers could still end up as a better team next year because of what they'll be able to add by trading away Rodgers. And and to follow up, while I said that I don't think Love will have a better year than Rodgers next year, I think that Love might run this offense better than Rodgers. I think that Love's like lack of... I think almost his lack of cachet in the league will be good for the Packers' offense because he won't 
be able to bring in essentially the bad tenets of the offense that Rodgers likes to run. Because in my opinion, Rodgers is aversion to using motion and aversion to like mostly mostly motion is the big one but his like his choice of when to throw shot plays i think are net negatives for the offense and while that is oftentimes like kind of uh over like he makes up for it by being able to see what the defense is running better than love would be able to i think you can kind of get that out of just lafleur building the offense on like very purposefully i think that love this past year if love had played the whole season i think the packers probably have a better record is one of my hot takes and while he might not have played as well as rogers and might not be as good as rogers probably i think he'd have run the offense better and especially if you include that and getting more weapons on offense if you get the picks back I, I think the packers offense would be better next year trading rogers and starting love and just see what happens my take on last year, um, Love versus Rodgers, was they should have put Rodgers on IR, rest of the thumb, and played Love those weeks. I mean, you know and what they would have been, I, and they would have you know been the much tweet better. I saw, right? You know the tweet I saw, right? I don't think is so. That, is that the Packers? So the Packers went on a run, as you may know, and <laughs> had a win or in situation, win a win and in situation against the Lions in Week 18 that they lost. The take I saw was this was the worst possible situa- scenario for the Packers. Literally as bad as it could get. They got to see to Love just, not at all, to not see Love at all, to yep. just miss the playoffs and have the worst possible the- draft pick you could get and oh, not yeah. know, and, and essentially not know if, and we're going to talk about Love in a second, not know if you should pick up his fifth-year option, which they still haven't decided on, and I think they have a week to do. Yeah. No, it's longer than that. I think it's, it's not okay. until May, maybe. I think we got some time on that. It's not like the beginning of the of the uh, league year or anything. I think it's later than that. I, I have to double-check on that, but I thought I saw somebody... Uh, we'll May, talk uh, talk to... a little more about Rodgers and I'll look it up because I thought it was before the yeah. Draft. So I'll, I'll talk about Rodgers' contract situation, which is a uh, you know a story unto itself. Um, and so I'm going to mostly be comparing the situation of Rodgers' contract if he stays with the Packers to the end of the contract versus if he's traded this year because every year you wait to trade it adds a new level of complexity. Um, so if Rodgers stays in Green Bay this year, he costs $31 million on the cap. And if he's traded, he'll cost $40 million on the cap, so $9 million more. But most of that money has already been paid, so it can't be reduced. It's like the, the bonuses carrying over to the next year. If he's cut, then it's even worse, I think, in terms of the, the cap hit. Now, he does have kind of this unusual bonus um, in his contract with that is $58 million that has to be activated in the offseason, but it can be any time before the beginning of the season. So that so it, they've set it up so there's a lot of time to figure out what they want to do this coming year. And any trade partner would then pick up that $58 million. It, They'd activate it after the trade. So the Packers wouldn't be on the hook for that $58 million. Um. Once the once the option is activated, then it's guaranteed, and there's a similar bonus in 2024 for 47 million. But in the short run, trading Rodgers this offseason would increase the Packers' cap hit by nine million to 40 million, but it would decrease next year's cap hit. Um, it'll open up an extra 41 40 million in 2024, and, and that's so the key. That amount of money 
it, right. So you're you're getting a net gain in available cap over the two year period. So that gives you enough money to basically get under the cap this year by restructuring five or six contracts. So you don't have to cut anybody. And then you can absorb the extra cap hit in 2024 from those restructures and still not have to cut anybody and pick up um, Love's option. Or if they decide to, you know, or they could just say, okay, we're going to sign them to a contract now and it doesn't have to be 20 million, which is what the option would be. So they're, the simplest cap situation is trading Rogers this year. And if they, in terms of not having to get jettison a bunch of other players, either this year or next year. Um, and then, you know, they, they if they do, then they would a- actually add more, probably more um, draft picks, which would also help to um, ease some of the um, future cap by having mo- more players on rookie deals. Yeah, um, and, so and it, so when while we're talking about cap, and we're talking about the decisions you can make, what how would you divide the pie chart on likelihood of these three options? Rogers is traded, Rogers retires, Rogers stays. Because I would go forty percent Rogers is traded, forty percent Rogers retires, twenty percent Rogers returns. I think that's the least likely option at this point that he is back next year. With oh, the you oh. I think the least likely is that he retires. You think? I don't, don't think, think he the, wants to You stop. don't think the darkness, the darkness retreats are calling to him? I, you know, of course, who knows what kind of hallucinations he might have. You can, uh, you can do ayahuasca year-round if you're not playing in the league. I'm just saying. <laughs> he, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's totally down to just, just do hallucinogenics and play golf. Do hallucinogenics. 365 then, days a year, he, he, seven days. He, he did enjoy winning the uh, the, the Pro-Am at Pebble, at Pebble uh, his last couple He weeks. likes golf. And then, it, and then he could spend more time, you know, doing ayahuasca, um, darkness retreats, and speaking at astrology seminars. Yes, these are all things he's done in the last... Uh, <laughs> week and well, a half? Uh, besides the ayahuasca, two weeks? we're not sure. Like, week and a half for the other two. Um did you say? Do you see that they said that uh, the reason Devontae Adams is so uh, tough on the football field is because he's a Capricorn? Of course, I missed this. <laughs> I was. It was very interesting. Shout out Justice Mosqueda for live tweeting it because I was not going to watch it. Uh, but beyond that, I think. So, so you, so what? What would you? What would your pie chart be? You ducked my question. You, th- you thought you would get okay, away. Okay, so with I it. would. I would say. Sixty percent traded, thirty percent stays in the Packers, ten percent retired. Okay, all right, and maybe even right. maybe even five percent retired. Okay, maybe thirty-five right. percent Packers. Well, I got an answer out of you. I just think I usually don't. I just think that I just think that's unlikely. The, the retired okay. thing. And I think the best case scenario. I think they should trade him. I think I think that's the best case scenario for the Packers. Best case scenario for everyone involved. I think it would be um, better for Rodgers. He'll be in a better situation yeah. with a chance to to win with uh, the team set around him, and I think it'll be better for the. I think the, I think both the Jets and the Packers, if they do if they do the trade, and I think the Jets are actually the best situation for Rodgers with yeah. the team and the that report, are being talked about 
the report I saw with the Raiders is that they're more interested in Jimmy Garoppolo than than trading for Rodgers. Because Garoppolo is a free agent. They wouldn't have to give up any resources for him. They could just sign him. But um, I think that those are actually the um, – both teams would be better. Both the Jets and the Packers would be better next year if they make this trade. Yes. Um, so that's kind of our, our thoughts on Rodgers. Is there anything that we didn't talk about with him that we should? Because I think no matter what happens, he's a very important part of Packers history. He's given a lot of really good years of his career to the Packers. And I don't think, I think sometimes that gets overlooked with how his past year went. Um, and some of the just general weirdo behavior that he exhibits sometimes. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the worst thing, but it's, it's, it's not great either. But, um, I think for him, just like that, he has been a very important part of the Packers. He's won a lot of games for them. He's given everything he's got to the organization. And I think both he and the Packers like realize how important they are to one another. Um, but I do think just like in terms of chances of the Packers being successful, I think a trade would be a really nice little reset button on this era of the Packers. They got really close a lot of times and they couldn't quite get there. And it happens. Um, but that brings us to, let's say he is traded, Dad. The heir apparent would be Jordan Love. Do you want to talk about him a little bit? Yep. Okay, we can talk about this year. He, uh, 20, 24, going to his fourth year in the league. His PFF grades were as good as Rodgers this year, though he didn't play yeah. very many snaps. He actually played fewer snaps this past year than he did in 2021 with um, getting an entire game to start with the uh, against the Chiefs. Where he played a whole game in in 2021 um, versus only playing small parts of games in, in 2022. He he did, however, complete. Um, so he had a bit against the Eagles and the Vikings and two other games that I'd have to check on I can, to see. I can check it while you while you vamp. But a quick, bit. it's the the jet the Jets and oh Minnesota again. He played a little bit in both Minnesota games. Oh yes, for two completed... different, two very different reasons. <laughs> yes, both for both for blowout reasons, though. But maybe I'll go rewatch that game. Op- opposite polarity. This. Maybe I'll go rewatch that, just that for second Vikings Packers game. Just for that you was know, a, that, this is that the was thing. fun. We had that game. That was fun. That was fun. You know, every year, even when it's you know, we say like this year was a disappointment. We weren't as good as we've been the previous years. But I'd say every year has something worth rewatching. Like I can rewatch yes. that Dallas game. I can rewatch that second Minnesota game. I can rewatch that Miami game. I can rewatch that, that Miami game. Though maybe not yeah. watch what happens to Tua in that Miami game. Yeah, that game. I was I, I thought about that after I said I was like, well, maybe not. It's like, uh... um, but he completed two thirds of his passes at nine point three yards per attempt, which is quite good. I should have looked up where that would fall. Um, in the league, but that might be like near top of the league at 9.3 yards per attempt and a passer rating of 112. All three of theirs are better than what Rodgers did for the year. He had one touchdown and no interceptions. Now, admittedly, a decent amount of this is a small sample size, but also since it's a small sample size, a decent amount of the yards and the touchdown come from Christian Watson housing a slant from midfield. Yeah, um, I think it gets not a the, slant, the, not a slant, and over. It was not. And, it was. Okay. It was downfield a little bit. He threw it past the first down marker, <laughs> Dad. Let's. Yes, he it was a, like he threw it, it fifteen it, yards in the air. It was please, a fifteen please. yard. It was fifteen yard throw that went for sixty five yard touchdown. 
All right. Well, if we're nitpicking, I'm giving him the yards that Aaron Jones <laughs> dropped on that corner route. So there, we'll give him those back. But yes, okay. I agree. I just and a lot of be it was about... against a lot of it was against the Eagles when they were playing soft zone. So that's fair. And Christian Watson did a lot of the work, but he showed. Oh man, I don't know what happened there. He showed that I th- I think he was much better this year than he was in the previous year. There's oh, that. Yeah. And so things I want to say, like in general, on his um, thoughts and his performance, I think a lot of the optimism for Love can be traced to how he looked in that Philly game. But part of it was he just looked more poised and able to go through his progressions. You could see him actually going through his progressions on the plays. And his footwork looked a lot cleaner. He was like, and he got the ball out quickly and on top. He's like, boom, 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 throw. And, and in, on top of that, very much Eagles game, he had a very nice preseason. He had a really nice preseason. I know it's only preseason. I know it's his third year in the league. You would expect him to have a good preseason. But that's nothing to that's that's at least another piece of data. And the thing with him coming out of college, I think a lot of people forget, this was the kind of scenario everyone said was good for him. People were saying he needs to go to a place and sit for a few years, and if he does, he could be really good. That's what everyone said when he was coming out of Utah State. And this is what he did. And so if this was the plan the whole time, you got to give him a chance. I mean, that's the that's the whole point of why you drafted him was to sit him all these years, and then run him out there because that's what everyone in the draft space has said was was saying essentially like, hey, he's not ready to play right now, but he's got all the tools and he's got the right mentality, and you know, have him work a little bit, kind of rebuild his footwork a little bit, get him to like play the position a little more soundly. He's got a really live arm and he can really zip the ball. So I w- I'm personally pretty excited if he is the starter next year to watch him. And I think even if they get a high draft pick, I would not take a quarterback. I would rather see love play personally. Yeah. I, th- I think I think it'd be a very exciting year. If love is the starter in terms of, you know, thinking about what's going on, where the, where the um, team is improving, what they could look to going forward. Yeah, um, and for love, so I looked it up just now. He is for contract wise. He's going into his last year or his fourth year of his rookie contract. The fifth year option, they could extend it um, anywhere from January 9th, which has already passed, to May 1st, like you said. So in this window, they can decide on whether or not they want to pick up his fifth year option. Do you want to talk a little bit about the contract there a little bit as we wrap up here? Yeah, and so that fifth year option, I think, is about $20 million, um, plus or minus a couple hundred thousand. I don't remember the exact number, but it's around that ballpark. And and right now, his it, but that's 2024, not this coming year. This coming year, he's only going to be $3.9 million. So yeah. uh, very easy to carry his contract. And um, and so they can decide to pick up the fifth-year option, and then they could decide to extend him um, after this year if, he, if, he, if he's a starter and he looks good. They could actually reduce his cap hit, I think, in twenty twenty four if they like, you know, signed him to a long term extension. Mm-hmm. If they wanted and, to, and- if they want, say, wanted to open up another five to ten million in twenty twenty four, they could um, spread out his cap hit to like a you know a five year deal. And I think you know the other thing I will say for Jordan Love, this has not been the easiest situation for him. Like, essentially having to sit. And I know there was that noise about how if Rodgers is back, he wants a trade. I don't blame him. I think, like, people think, like, yes, football players, he's getting paid a lot of money to do nothing. 
He doesn't want to do nothing. He wants to play in the NFL. Like, this is his dream. Players want to play, play in the NFL. Players you, you, want to play. Players want to play and also get endorsement deals. Like, all of that is being held up right now because he's not getting to play. And if he wants to request a trade, if Rodgers is back next year, more power to him because I think they should trade him at that point because it's not fair to him. Also, you know, the clock is always ticking on an NFL career. You only have so many years where you can where, where you can do it. And so, you know, he's he doesn't want to lose like the the all of the first five years of his career without actually getting to play. Because exactly. it's not just about the money; it's about you know establishing your position in league history. Yeah, it's it's and it's playing it's playing the game. You you like he he wants to play like I yeah. And so the thing is, I really if he is the starter next year, which I hope he is, I'm gonna be really excited to watch because I think. Tempering expectations. I think he could run the offense better than Rodgers did this past year. And this is the reason you drafted him was to sit him for three years and then say, hey, like, it's your turn. Like, let's see what happens. And I'm excited to see what happens. But, Dad, let's wrap up here. We are at the longest ever podcast we've done. Um, Let's talk a little bit about overall position group thoughts. Coaching, Tom Clements came back this year and was quarterback coach. And I think Jordan Love took a big stride from year two to year three. So, you know, why not give Tom Clements some credit there? Yeah, I think it's possible, and uh, you know, I think Rogers gave Clements a lot of uh, credit for his own development. So maybe that's what the why we're seeing this jump this year for for Love. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Love or the quarterback position in general, or should we wrap up? Um, we could wrap up. We could talk about the All future right. more uh, um, another day, but about yeah. what we think. Um, Love's horizon might be in, in comparison to other other QBs in the league, um, and, and their ability to run very successful offenses like like Jimmy G or Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of essentially the end of our 2022 review for the Packers position groups. Thank you so much if you made it this far into the podcast, listening to our thoughts on the offensive line and the quarterback position. No, we went a little bit long, and we appreciate you sticking with us. If you enjoyed what you heard, we're going to be doing one episode a week for the rest of the offseason talking about the draft and talking about free agency and where the Packers might look to add. Um, We will most likely focus specifically on the draft because that's our favorite thing to talk about. The NFL draft is my favorite day of the league football year, uh, as some people may know. So we're going to be talking about that going forward. We're really excited to get to that, and we're really excited to essentially tie a bow finally on the 2022 season and start looking forward from a disappointing season. But if you like what you heard, you can come uh, listen to future podcasts on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. We were having a bit of trouble with YouTube, but we're trying to straighten that out. Uh, if you want to stay in the loop, come follow us on Twitter at FatherSonPacker. We post when we have new episodes uh podcasts uh any articles we find interesting we retweet uh any packers news we keep you updated on injury reports etc um beyond that if you really enjoy listening to us come subscribe to us on youtube Uh, i would help our numbers at father son packers podcast so we would appreciate that thank you again so much for listening come listen again next week as we talk a little bit about the draft and getting ready for that and until next time go pack go go pack go